Hey, we're glad to have you here. Uh, I want to want to start up this morning a little bit different. You know, when I gather in the morning and I, I kind of walk through the through an empty room, sometimes the worship team's um, practicing, and the Lord will put a verse on my mind, and I'll start praying it. But sometimes I'll I'll pray it over myself from God's perspective, meaning using His voice and and put my name in it. And today the Lord just really encouraged me to do that for you. Uh, it's not easy for me to do that because sometimes when you're changing words, you don't remember what's next. And so when I'm praying, it's kind of fluid. But I just felt this morning the Lord was just putting it on my heart just to pray over you. And it comes out of Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to hear these words as I pray over you from the Father's perspective. It's Ephesians chapter 1. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Father. I have blessed you. I have blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I chose you before, I chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in my sight. In love, I predestined you to be adopted as my, my sons through Jesus Christ according to his pleasure and will. To, I chose you to the praise of my glorious grace, which I have freely given in the one that I love. And so in my son, in Jesus, you now have redemption through his blood. You have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that I have lavished on you with all wisdom and understanding. And I have made known to you the mystery, mystery of my will, which I have purposed in Christ so that you, you would know that you belong to me. Father, I thank you that because you see us as holy and blameless in your sight, we have everything we need for life and godliness. If we would just simply believe we are who you say we are. And so, Lord, this morning as we come uh, in this place and before your word, Father, I pray that you would allow through the ministry of the Spirit for your word to speak. Father, would you open our eyes to see and would you move us to a place that even in this space, we're abiding with you just a little bit more to hear your voice and to allow you to speak truth. And in speaking truth, Father, to bring life to those areas of our minds, our bodies, our emotions that need to be set free today. Father, would you, would you work in this space in Jesus' name? And thank you, Lord, that your words for us are so much more gracious than our words for ourselves. And that you love us to such a depth that you would put these words on Paul's mouth so that we might, we might cherish them today. Guide us in this truth we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew, the book of Matthew. We're going to walk from chapter 4 all the way to 28. So we're going to try that today. We're going to be in chapter 4. I think it's in verse 18. And before we jump into that, let me just remind you what we've been looking at. We've been asking this question, what does it mean for us to be disciples of of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Now, we tend to use the word Christian, but in the early church, they didn't use the word Christian. They used followers of the way. Jesus had a way. He had a practice. He had a life. And Christians were known as followers of the word. The word Christian actually came from the unbelieving world to describe us. We were little Christ, which is still good. But I think in some ways, when we lose the terminology in the New Testament, we lose the meaning. And we are called to be his disciples, which comes out of a relationship 
between a rabbi and his Talmudin. A Talmudin is the Hebrew word from which we get our English word disciple. Now, in Greek, it's a different word, but the idea is when someone would come to you, at, um, when a rabbi would come to you and he'd say, come and follow me, you'd say, what? Now, now if you're anyone like me, your mouth would drop. It's kind of like getting accepted to Harvard. I was nowhere close to be ever being accepted. I didn't even try to be accepted in Harvard. But it's one of those moments where someone's coming to you, and because of your recognition, because of what you've done, you're... Your school scores, your grades, all of those things, that rabbi is saying, you are worthy to follow me. Now, when Jesus came to his disciples, he, he didn't know them in the sense that he had not been with them. He didn't know their grade school average. He didn't know if they're good athletes, bad athletes. He didn't know if they're smart or they're dumb. He just said, hey, come and follow me. And because they saw Jesus as a rabbi, they dropped everything. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. Because see, for Talmudim to be with their rabbi, they wanted to be with their rabbi, but it was more than that. They wanted to become like their rabbi. They wanted to love what the rabbi loved. And so they would watch the rabbi, and the rabbi would get up early in the morning, they'd go pray, and then Matthew would wake up in the afternoon and say, really, Jesus got up early? You guys went and prayed? I need to start doing that. And then they would hear from Jesus, and Jesus would be quoting passages from the Old Testament, from the Torah, and James would say, I need to start memorizing scripture. I, I need to be like Jesus. And then they'd see Jesus fasting as they're eating this food in front of them. They'd watch Jesus fast. They'd say, hey, maybe I need to do that. And then they'd watch Jesus heal and cast out demons. They'd watch him do justice. They'd watch him bring peace to relationships. And as the disciples are watching this, they're saying, I, I think I need to start doing this. And then in watching Jesus, they started doing it. They became like their rabbi. Now, the purpose of becoming like him was to go out and to do what Jesus did. And so as we're going to follow this pattern in the, in the Gospel of Matthew to, first of all, see they were with him, but then they became like him. And then finally, he's going to send them out, just like us, to do exactly what he did. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 4, and let's pick it up in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, whom he called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Now, again, this is a rabbi. Follow me, and I will make you. Notice the language. He is the one that changes us. Fishers of men. Fishers of men is not a kind of cute little phrase that Jesus used, you know, like to, to get their attention. It's, it actually means to be a great teacher. As they see Jesus as one who has authority, teaches as one who has authority, as a great teacher, he's saying, come and follow me, and you also will become like me. Verse 20, and immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending nets, and he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. And here's what they did, verse 23. And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout Syria, and they brought back all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from the Jordan. Chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the crowds, seeing the crowds that he just healed, 
He just cared for. He just taught. He just proclaimed. He went up on a mountainside. He sat down. And his disciples came to him. And in chapters 5 and 6 and 7, he says, this is what people who are a part of the kingdom of God, this is what they look like. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not just telling us what to do. He's telling us what rescued people look like. Now, let me just back up for a minute. We're going to go on to chapter 8 in just a minute. If you want to get your thumb there, get ready. The Sermon on the Mount, in some ways, is a, it's Jesus reflecting on the Ten Commandments, reflecting on the story of Israel coming out of Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, they were already rescued. They were already baptized through the, the Jordan, uh, through the Jordan, through the Red Sea. You guys knew that. You knew that. And, and they were going to a place of blessing. And the Ten Commandments were not, hey, if you do these things, I'll get you out of Egypt. Because they're kind of looking around, we're already out of Egypt. We're out of slavery. We have been set free. He was saying, this is what my rescued people look like. When we get to the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to start studying it this year. He's saying, this is what people who have been rescued for the kingdom of God, this is what they look like. And this is how they bring the kingdom of God to bear on the earth. So now, jumping through that, let's go to chapter 8. And pick this story up in verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I'm homeless, buddy. I'm homeless. Verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Two different responses. One, eager. Eager to respond. The other saying, there's other things that take priority over following you. Chapter 9, if you want to turn to chapter 9, verse, verse 9. And here we pick up this next piece of the story. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man... A man called Matthew sitting at a tax collector tax booth, and he said, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. This is the point where the disciples go, are you desperate? Peter, hey, Peter knows he's a mess. James and John, but we're, we're not in the business of bringing people like this along with us, are we, Jesus? I don't know if you noticed, Matthew, even though he was redeemed, he's often Matthew the tax collector, right? Because that was, sh that was shocking. That was offensive. There were certain people Jesus called, and there was a lot of people Jesus called who, who didn't believe that God wanted anything to do with them. And the religious leaders agreed with them. And, and actually, the rest of the community agreed with them. Yeah, you're right. God wants nothing to do with you. When Jesus comes to Matthew and says, follow me, I have to believe in that moment he, he was shocked as much as everyone else around him that Jesus would want him because to be a tax collector is to be the ultimate of Benedict Arnold's. To be a betrayer of your cousins, your father who lost his job because the Romans showed up and they took that job away from him. Imminent domain just coming into a community. Hey, we're going to take these houses. We're going to take these areas. We're going to take these jobs. Your family, your friends, the kids you grew up with, Matthew turned his back on everyone and a sense in that community aligned himself with the devil. And here comes Jesus and saying to Matthew, come follow me. Because see, in following me, Matthew 
Matthew has changed. I don't think Jesus started off and said, Matthew, here's the list of things that are wrong with you. Because I think Matthew kind of knows. He's been yelled at his entire life. He knows his brokenness. But this is a man at this point that has no emotional health, no spiritual health, no physical health, no relational health. And here comes the healthiest human being, a man of peace and yet a man of deep, deep compassion and courage. And he says, I want you to be with me. And Matthew gets up to the amazement of the disciples and he follows him. And so let's play this story out uh, if I can find it. Oh, yeah. Here we, here we go. In verse 9. And, and so because Jesus is homeless, he says, Matthew, I want to go to your house. And, and as Jesus reclined at, at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees saw this and they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat? with tax collectors and sinners. And the disciples are like, I don't know. Why is he, this isn't, these are not the kind of people that God loves. I know we're far from God, but these people are a mess. You have to understand the sign of the kingdom of God is that God shows up in places we don't expect. And he's attractive to people we don't like. That's the sign of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those that want justice. They hunger. They thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know, as Jesus gathers this motley crew of people, the broken, the lost, they're like, you mean blessing belongs to me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms. We are those same people. We are the Matthews. We are those on the hillside. And the kingdom of God has come. And the amazing, amazing thing is his blessings for us. It's for us. It's for Matthew. But see, there's some things in us that want to push back against what God is doing. Because we don't want, we want to do what he does. But we want to do what he does with the people we like. <laughs> with the people that agree with us. With the people that look like us. And the kingdom of God, that's not the kingdom of God. That's so the kingdom of man. The kingdom of man loves to move chairs on the Titanic and say we've accomplished something. We like to set up new regimes and new titles and new powers and put our people in place. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is subversive. When we're in it, it, it causes us sometimes to go, what is he doing? What's God doing? And yet that's the story that plays out. Because see, if you're with this kind of God and you're gonna do what he did, you've gotta really be with him a lot. Because <laughs> he's gonna push you in directions that don't always make sense. And the reason is in part because it's not of this world and it's in being with him and being in his presence that he enables us to understand what he's doing. So verse 12, so watch this. But when they heard, but when he heard it, Jesus, so here's corruption, Jesus fighting the religious corruption of the day. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. I, I desire mercy. If our sacrifice does not have mercy in it, it's not, it's not for God, it's for us. If our, and we're gonna get into the Sermon on the Mount, if our giving isn't out of a love for God, then it's not for God, it's for us. Our service, if it's not out of a love for God, it's for us, it's not for him. He says, I desire mercy. You see it in him though, don't you? 
I mean, if you're walking with Jesus at this point, you're like, okay, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that his mercy, his mercy and the way he expresses compassion to others and his love for others is so much greater than just simply religious duty. But the religious duty, it finds meaning when the heart comes together and you're doing it out of love for God. He says, I want, I want mercy. Verse 35, watch how this plays out. And so Jesus went throughout all the cities, and here's some of the things he did, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And when he said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest, the poor in spirit, the mourning, the broken, the poor, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to mission, to send out laborers into the harvest. Guys, I'm only one man. I want you to go and do what I did. Jesus was one person, but his goal wasn't simply to gain followers or gain a congregation. He gained disciples, and he sent them out. He sent them out to be his missionaries, his sent ones, his laborers in the harvest, his so chapter 10, let's, let's see it. Here, here it comes. Here's what they did. Chapter 10, verse 1, and he called his 12 disciples and he gave them, this is a key word, authority, so that they can go out and do it. So authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. Authority to heal every disease. Authority over every affliction. The names of the 12 were these. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and he made it. Matthew, do you notice the name? The tax collector. Don't forget he's there. But watch what's going to happen. And James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot. Simon hates tax collectors. And Matthew hates zealots. Zealots kill tax collectors. Tax collectors oppress zealots. How am I going to become more like Jesus? If I got to hang out with Simon, <laughs> I need to pray. I want to kill this guy. He votes for the wrong guy. He stands for the wrong stuff. And then here's Matthew. How am I going to get along with Simon? If I am not with Jesus, if I'm not becoming like Jesus, there is no way. This is what community does. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God gathers people who would never hang out together if it wasn't for Jesus, who would never get along together if it wasn't for Jesus. How, how broken is it that the kingdom of God often today is so homogenized in terms of how we, who we talk to or who we get along with, or it's, it's homogenized politically. Often it's the Titanic, it's moving things on the, and those things are important, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that engagement in those ways isn't valuable, it's incredibly valuable, we're responsible for that. But the kingdom of God, it shows up in ways, it shows up in ways we do not expect. And so verse five, and then, then he sent them out, and he said to them, go, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of Samaritans, but rather go to lost sheep of Israel. And proclaim exactly what he did as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I haven't seen that yet. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. Receive without paying. And give without pay. I think some translations say, as you have freely been given, freely give. 
guys, I've been generous to you. I've loved you. Now, this isn't a guilt trip, but the reason I did that is so that you might give it to others, is so that you might go, so that you might see yourself as a restored, sent one who's going out into the world, not to bring my kingdom or my my understanding or my values, but to bring my values because you've been rescued and this is how a rescued people live. Now, we want to be with Jesus. We want to become like him, but do we really? Sometimes I wonder, I don't want to do what he did. There's times I'm like, I I don't want to, because, you know, to do what he did means I got to die. Now, I'm not going to die on a cross. That's already done. Thank God that's forgiven, but I got to die sometimes financially to my dreams. I've got to die sometimes to my desire to keep my schedule the way I want it because healing isn't a Tuesday kind of thing, you know. It's not Tuesday at 11. It's, uh, casting out a demon is not 1 o'clock on a Thursday. I'm going to schedule that into my, my calendar and, and remind me. You know, two hours ahead, it's coming. Here, here it comes. Miracles are inconvenient. The Holy Spirit is inconvenient. And God wants to call us out to do what he did. But are we aware of the Spirit? Remember first week we talked about are we aware? The goal of a disciple is to be aware that God is with us. That he is in us and dwelling in us. And throughout the day, if you remember Brother Lawrence, he was cleaning pots. And he said, you know, that, that moment of cleaning those nasty dishes the monks left behind was as great a pleasurable moment as it is at the altar before the blessed sacrament. <laughs> Which is the height of Catholic experience. The body and the blood of Christ. He's saying, when I'm washing dishes, I'm as much raptured by the presence of God as I am receiving communion. What, what, if, what if we did that at work? What if sending out emails was like rapture, right? I mean, I think it's possible. I'm, I know we're kidding, but I think work is supposed to be that. I think it's supposed to be a celebration of God's pleasure, that we're doing it for him, for the service of the kingdom of God, in the values of the kingdom of God, that we're supposed to be aware of his presence, not just in our quiet time, but throughout the day. We're supposed to be aware, because here's the last thing. Here's how the story ends, chapter 28. As he speaks authority to us, Those that are left behind, chapter 28 of Matthew, verse 16. And now the 11, one failed, went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. He just rose from the dead, guys. He just rose from the dead, and some doubted. I think doubt is a part of faith. Because when you see something you do not understand, you're going to doubt. Because you're going to say, hey, God, how does this line up with who you are? And so some, before the very presence of Jesus, as he's being raptured into heaven, some are worshiping. They're elated. Others are doubting. I think I'd probably be like half and half or something like that. In verse 18, and Jesus came to him and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now it's given to you. Go, therefore. And as you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe teaching them my practices to obey all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you see the pattern? Does it sound like what we offer in the church? Jesus' pattern, he sees somebody says, I want to be with you. The king says to the servant, I want to be with you. I want to be with you, but I want you to be with me. I want to love you. I want to speak into your life. I want you to see me 
care for others. I want you to, I want you to hear my teaching, and I don't want you to hear it once. I'm going to hear it over and over because, see, you're going to go out and do this stuff. And I don't know about you, but when I get around people that, you know, have great skills, my lack of great skills shows up. <laughs> you know, at least I get nervous. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. And, and, and then that's called honesty, transparency, repentance. I can't do that. God, I need help. I don't know how to teach. I don't know how to love. Because, see, you can't grow unless you know where you are. And so as you're with Jesus, you start seeing your own brokenness. Every time you see God, you see your sin. And you got to make a choice. I can fill that gap with my performance. I can fill it with his grace. Every time you see God, Isaiah, John, you see your sin. But see, those that become like Christ, they admit their need for God's grace. They don't pretend. They don't perform. They said, God, I need you. And so Jesus, as they came to him, they saw their brokenness. You know, Matthew probably didn't change. Maybe he changed fast. I don't know. Maybe he's like Zacchaeus. You know, it's like that. He's off. He's giving away 40% of what he has. He's just excited. But who knows how that change took place. But I can tell you, in being with Jesus, Matthew saw a love and a compassion, a way of doing life that was so radically different from his own. But I guess, I, I admit, he probably was afraid at times to let go of the old patterns of life, a different way of doing things. But over time, in being with him, he became like Jesus. And then Jesus said, Matthew, see that woman over there? Go love her. But I abused her family. That's not what I, I want you to go love her. Hey, Peter, you know those folks that are oppressed? Go feed them. Go care for them. And what would happen is they would come back, right? If you remember those stories, they'd come back. And, and you know, James is like, wow, Jesus, you won't believe it. Even the demons, they... they they tremble. We're just, you know, they're high five. They're like, and Jesus is like, well, hey, that's great, guys, but you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing. It. That's exciting. Your names are in the book of life. Your identity is not in what you do. Even in my kingdom, your identity is that you belong to me. Now go out and do those things. Because, see, sometimes they come back and they get it wrong, right? And he'd have to say, hey, Peter, you're not right on this. Sometimes Peter said, hey, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He's like, great. And then, then he has to rebuke him in the next moment. That's messy, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's not a clean 4.0. It's, it's not rising up the ladder of, of sanctification and holiness. without. It's ugly. It's broken. It, and that's the kingdom of God. To the point that Peter denied Jesus three times, had to be restored by Jesus. And the question he asked only was, do you love me? What's the sign that you love me? Go and care for those that I love. Go and do what I've done. Do you see the pattern? You know, today, um, that's the pattern of apprenticeship, I think. I haven't really been apprenticed in a lot of things, so I think it's, you know, hey, watch me do this. I'm going to do it, now watch me. I'm going to do this, and then will you help me? And then why don't you do this, and I'll help you. Now, why don't you go do that, and I'll watch you. And then they may come back, and there's that back and forth. There's discussion, right? That's the church. Every week we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to, you're going to mess up. It's in the prayer, guys. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our, it's in our daily prayer. We're going to mess up. It's not about perfection, it's about commitment. And we're going to go out and we're going to come back to Jesus. Jesus, I failed. I just, I, I yelled, I got angry. But if we're not willing to go deep into the pain and the honesty, we don't come back up to the wisdom. We're supposed to do what he did. And so imagine this for a moment. Imagine an electrician, he studies the books, right? He's, he's there, he's apprenticed, he's doing, he's with, and then he goes, he gets help. 
Or imagine someone in the medical field, they still do this today, that you go and you study, and then two years of study, you actually go into a residency. And that could be four years, it could be six years, eight years, depending on what you're doing. Now imagine somebody goes through that, right? All the school, all that stuff, pay all that money. And when they're done, at the end of it all, instead of becoming a surgeon or whatever they're supposed to, they're like, you know, I think I'm good. I understand the good doctor now. Do you know the good doctor, the TV show? No? Okay, sorry. I, I understand Grey's Anatomy. No? ER, we're going back. We'll just keep going back. I, I just wanted, I wanted all this knowledge so that I understand that world. I, I didn't do it to actually care for people. Think about our Christian life. Are we, are we gathering knowledge and experience for improving our lives, or are we, do we realize God wants to send us out as electricians, as plumbers, to actually work in people's homes, to heal the sick, heal the broken? That's what God's called us to. He's called us to do the things that Jesus did. Now, just for a minute, you know, theologically, that means a lot of things to different people. Because what did Jesus do? He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He, he taught he cast out demons. He healed. And some people will say, well, I can't do that. I'm not Jesus. Peter wasn't Jesus. Paul was not Jesus. I think James was, you know, half Jesus, I guess, or something, right? They were not, Je they were not God. They were not, Je they were 0 for 2. The early church was not Jesus. When you see Jesus, how did he do what he did? He did it by the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because he was with God, he was God, and he went out and did Now, he did it perfectly. He did it better than we will. But if we are with God and becoming like God, we're gonna do more of what God wants us to do because that's what God does. He, what he does to us, he richly wants to do through us. You know, it's, it's interesting in the, in the book of Acts when the disciples are out and they're, they're healing the sick. They're out there. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. But notice the last phrase, but they recognized they'd been with Jesus. You guys shouldn't be able to do this. You're not educated. You're not good enough, you're not, but they had been with Jesus and Jesus was now, the kingdom of God was working through them and the people were astonished because of what they did. And it's not because of what they did, it's because of who they belonged to and the God that was working through them. What does that look like? What does that look like for us? I wanna share just, just briefly, just five things. And the first one comes from last week. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to listen to that, that podcast. But there's, there's a process called intentional spiritual growth. And intentional growth, it starts with the gospel. All of us has stories. I was a son of such and such, and I experienced this, and maybe I suffered in this way. And often our brokenness or sometimes even our success become our story. This is who I am. This is who I am because of what I experienced or because of a loss or because of what someone said to me. And my story directs my habits. It directs my practices. But when the gospel is your story, your practices and habits start going along with the gospel over time. Just like Matthew, James, John, you start getting up and you want to be with God. You start reading scripture and because you want to be with him and become like him, that, that word is not just a thought for the day, it's alive. It exposes you, it cuts, it heals, it brings life. 
And the practices of Jesus lead to a new kind of community, a community where we're all doing this together, failing, succeeding, having great days, bad days, becoming more like Christ and admitting the pain of our past and the struggles and the addictions in community with one another as the Holy Spirit is wrapping all of these things up, the story of the gospel, my, my practices and devotion to Christ. God is at work in community and he's changing us to become more like Christ. Now, I wanna show a second slide. I learned this, this just this week. Why do we fail to grow? I was at a conference, it was actually on faith and work and at this conference, they were talking about, you know, why do some kids go to college and they just don't get it? And some, some kids may have C average, but actually they come out and they get it. Because see, what happens is we sometimes get knowledge. And, and I know this for me, true for my Christian life, is I, I, I got the gospel. I, I had a moment of true experience with God where God literally showed up as a vision in front of me. It's crazy. I still wonder if that happened. And, and he called me into ministry. But instead of continuing to walk in the grace of God and humility, I, I, I avoided suffering. I avoided admitting my brokenness. I avoided that other people had hurt me in the past and I just kind of wiped it all away. And I thought the, the knowledge would just fix it. Build a bridge, right? From the knowledge to wisdom. And I didn't want to go into the depths. So you know where I went? I went to pornography. I went to comfort. I went to... I went to escapism because I didn't, I didn't want to admit that I needed, I, I didn't know how to in some ways. And it wasn't until someone that had been at a place of confusion, suffering, brokenness, and pain, and was now at a place of wisdom, came in my life, said, Jason, there's a better way. You need to admit that you need him. Well, I, I, already, I already got heaven. What else do I need? No, he wants to heal you. He wants to change your identity. He wants to change the way you see the world, to see yourself, see others. And it's in that moment where I was like, okay, I'm going down the hill. You know, have you ever done that? Here I am. This is my sin. And then you talked about your father and you talked about, and you felt what? Naked. I wanted to grab some leaves, <laughs> cover it. And then, and he said, no, listen, the Father loves you. You've been blessed in the heavenly realms. You're pure and blameless in his sight. And it was only when I realized this is how the Father sees me that I wasn't afraid to expose my brokenness to others. And I had a brother that would come around me. I had a group of guys, pastors in the city of Arlington, and we would talk about our brokenness. And, and sometimes we'd lay hands on each other because we were, it, it was down there. But the beauty is every time the Lord healed and, and addressed, we became stronger, more humble, I hope, humble in that. And wisdom began to flow out of all of these churches because we had been with Jesus, we'd been with each other, but that's the process of growth. And I think if you're anything like me, we're afraid to go down in the valley. And in part because churches, churches are, are walking in law and not in grace. But the purpose of law is to show us our need for God. The purpose of God is to show us who we are as we see him and then we run to God in mercy and grace and he changes us. We've got to remember how growth happens. Don't. What is it right now that you want to avoid, you do not want to address? Would you just pray that the Lord would lead you to someone who will speak into your life? And maybe for some of you, you need to be the answer to prayer for the person that's sitting in this room today. They need someone who's not gonna be shocked, not gonna be surprised, but in grace and truth is going to lead them to Christ. We need to know how spiritual growth works and then quickly, you need to know where you are, the season of life you're in. 
And then also the season of discipleship. Sometimes we just need to learn how to be with Jesus. That's not something that, and it's okay. You've been in church 20 years and no one's taught you that. That's not, a, that's not an issue. That's that moment of, right, suffering, brokenness, pain. I gotta admit, you need to know where you are. You've gotta understand that season of life you're in. You know, Jesus disappeared for 30 years. What did he do between when he was, well, I guess not even at 12, right? We, we saw him last at 12 and then he shows up on the scene at 30. We don't know what happened from 12 to 30. Paul, do you know Paul when he came to faith? He was gone, 14 years. You don't know that, do you, right? He comes to faith, you thought he was just Paul, right? Just doing stuff, casting out demons, all that. No, Paul comes to faith, he goes off, he comes back, he eventually reconnects with the disciples because he's probably scared to death that they're gonna hate him and for good reasons. And, And 14 years later, he's the apostle Paul. There are seasons in life, if you got five kids, silence and solitude looks very different from being in a different stage of life. Or if you're going through a time where a business is growing, silence and solitude looks different than when you've sold a business and you're moving on to something different or whatever stage of life you're in, you've got to embrace where you are and not walk in guilt and shame, but walk in commitment. What does God have for me in this season? And be confident and comfortable in that. You're not gonna go out probably and maybe minister in the ways that others do, but what has God called you to today? What does it look like? What season of life are you? What stage of discipleship? And then third, don't underestimate the power of practicing the way of Jesus in community. I would say I had two conversion moments. One was meeting Jesus, and then I met disciples of Jesus. And it's almost like in both times I came alive. And, and I'm... I'm saying disciples that will come alongside me and they do two things. You're not gonna like the first one because they expose you. (laughs) The first one is they expose you. But if they're walking in grace and truth, they encourage you. We are to be that community. That when we walk and we see Jesus together, it exposes our brokenness, but we have to fill that with grace and with truth. Do not underestimate the power of walking in community with others. And then fourth, we just start with the basics. When it comes to doing what Jesus did, casting out demons may not be the place to go. But how many of you love to eat? And how many of you love to drink? I've been to some of your houses and you love to eat and drink. Well, why not invite Matthew over? (laughs) Who's your Matthew? What if you set aside, we know we tithe, we give, but set aside, be generous to yourself and set aside a portion of your income to celebrate people who are far from God. 1%. Invite them over. I mean, if you've got a family, maybe there's a single person that you don't know where they are, invite them over, have your kids make stuff for them so to the point that when they leave, they go, those people are crazy. <laughs> Why do they like me so much? You know, have you ever been around somebody that just, cared for you so genuinely and honestly, you walk away and just come on, what was, what was that? What if we as the kingdom, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors and then he said to the sinners and tax collectors, why don't you invite your buddies and then he spent time eating and drinking with them. What if we set aside a percentage of our income, not just to the mission field, not to the church, but to celebrate? The Old Testament is filled with parties. What if we began to follow the practices of Jesus and simply spent time with people who do not think 
God wants anything to do with him or that we want nothing to do with him. Let's change the way we're living. And then finally, just live in the moment. If we're going to do what Jesus did, you've got to be aware of the moment because as I said, doing what Jesus did, it's not a Tuesday kind of thing. It's not a Monday at four. It's inconvenient. It interrupts my day. It gets in the way of my productivity. I can't tell you how many days, and certainly in ministry, I, I don't get anything done, right? You guys have the same job? It's like, I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to do this. And sometimes I can see how God's at work. And sometimes I'm like, God, this just doesn't make sense. I think our desire to schedule and productivity is good. But Jesus was often late. He was often interrupted. And the greatest moments that happened of miracles, it wasn't planned. It was somebody showing up. And he's on his way to somebody else's house already to do some kind of work. And some woman touches him. And instead of just leaving, he stops and he talks with her. I wonder if the conversation was more healing than the touch. And we represent God, but not just represent, we have the presence of God, the kingdom of God abiding and dwelling through us. There is power that wants to go out into the world. But I got a job to do, I'm too busy. Would you just live in the moment? We're gonna celebrate communion this morning. And as we do, I think it's a time just to reflect on that. You know, do I see myself as one that Jesus has called? I think for some of us, it's an identity issue. We don't think we're good enough. Well, that's not, that's not where the conversation starts with God. He says, you are my child whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. You're mine. For some of us, there's addiction and sin in our life, and what we need is authentic community. And for some of us, we need to be authentic community so people could express that. And for others of us, we need to get in the game. We need to simply step up and get in the game and start learning so that we can do. There, there's a knowledge and a learning that happens just to collect things, and then there's a knowledge because you need to know and you need to grow. How do you think the disciples learned? Jesus, I need to know this. I need to grow in this. There was a hunger. Do we have that fire within us? If we see the kingdom and we see what God's doing, that fire, it comes and it ignites in us. Hey, would you come forward, those that are going to serve us communion? I'm going to pray for us, and, and we're going to celebrate what, what God has given us. Father, I thank you. Lord, I'm just, I think today, even just aware of this, that because, because we are holy and blameless in your sight, we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, that we belong to you. The miracle of the Father's voice saying, you are my daughter, you are my son, in whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. In the midst of our suffering, our pain, our brokenness, Father, you pour grace upon grace. The only thing that opposes your presence in us is pride, a failure to admit that we need you. And so, Father, as we come to the communion table, I'd ask, Holy Spirit, would you just show us our need? Would you show us our need to understand our identity? Would you show us our need to know what it means to become like you? Would you show us our need to do what you did for the benefit of others around us. Father, show us our need, and in showing us our need, would we see your grace, and we have the boldness to know that we can go out and do what you've asked us to do. Meet us here, we ask in Jesus' name.